there are many, many patterns of revival that we have for us in the Word of God and in Christian history that we can look at and say, you know, how do these people experience revival? How do these people get into a visitation of God? What did these people do so that they could experience an outpouring? We can learn from them. And we can try to be imitators of those who are good, those who are righteous. Amen. There's nothing wrong in, 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 in imitating those who have pressed in and experienced the presence of God. There's nothing wrong in that. This morning I want us to go to the book of uh, Second Chronicles, we're going to start with chapter 28, and we're going to look at one example of revival in the Bible. We're going to see what they did, we're going to learn some lessons from them, and we're going to do the same thing. In Second Chronicles, the 28th chapter, we're going to spend some time in chapters 28, 29, 30, and 31, and we're going to learn from history, learn from the scripture. How did people press into the presence of God? So that they experienced a visitation. So they experienced a revival. So they experienced God just coming in among them and changing them and the world that they were living in. We're going to learn some lessons. Second Chronicles 28 chapter. At this time in Israel's history, there was a king named Ahaz who was a very wicked king. He, he did everything that was wrong. And Israel really suffered under his rule. If you pick it up in verse 22 of 2 Chronicles 28, it says, In the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. That is King Ahaz. He sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which, he had which had defeated him, saying, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. So Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God, cut in pieces the articles of the house of God. He shut up the doors of the house of the Lord and made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. And in every single city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. Not a very nice time to be in. Things were going terrible. He shut the house of the Lord. He built images, altars to the gods of the Assyrians and he made people worship them. A very terrible spiritual state. And then he died and his son Hezekiah was brought on the throne. Verse chapter 29 verse 1, Hezekiah became king when he was 25. Verse 2 of chapter 29, Second Chronicles. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Here's how he began. Verse 3. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Amen. The first thing he did in the first month of his reign, the first thing he did was go and open up the doors of the house of the Lord. You know, it would have been very easy for Hezekiah just to go with the flow. This is how King Hezekiah set things up. This is the way it is. Everybody's worshiping all these foreign gods. Let's just go with the flow. But it, you know, it took one man to birth a revival. Amen. It only takes one person to change the world. God needs only one person. Let's say it together, only one. I mean, say it strong like you believe it. Only one. 
that could be me. Come on. Say it like you mean it. That could be me. God only needs one. It could be you. That's all. Just one person who's willing to say, you know, I need to make, make a difference. I don't want to go with church as usual. It would be easy for us to come Sunday after Sunday, do our five songs, listen to a, you know, 10-point message, 45-minute sermon, and go home. It's easy. But it takes somebody to say, hey, I want to make a difference. I want more of God in my life. I'm not satisfied with where I am today. You can live and die and go to heaven wonderful, but God needs somebody on earth who says, God, I want more. Amen. And it could be you. It could be you. In the 1904 Welsh Revival, actually in 1903, now Wales, the land of Wales has been an open heaven. And they've had many visitations of God. And like this, there are many other parts of the world, but I'm just giving you one example. In 1859, the land of Wales, Wales uh, experienced a mighty revival. And about 50 years later, 1903, uh, the country had backslidden. The young people were really given up in all kinds of evil things. But there was one man who said, you know, I need to reach out to the young people. So in, in, in the end of 1903, this young man, uh, this, this, this man, I forget his name, he, he tried to get all the youth together and, you know, try to bring them back to God. In February of 1904, at a youth meeting, he was speaking to this group of young people, and he asked them one question. He said, how many of you love God? And a teenage girl, everybody say teenage girl. A teenage girl named Flory Evans stood up, and here was her sermon. She said, I love Jesus with all my heart. That one sentence that she said sparked a revival upon the whole group of young people gathered together. Something happened. They all fell on the knees, went after God. That was her only sermon. I love Jesus with all my heart. That was it. And a revival was birthed in Wales by a teenage girl. God needs only one person who loves him with all of his or her heart. And that could be you. Just one. And the revival started spreading among the youth. And about this time, there was a man named Evan Roberts. He was a young man. For 11 years, he had been praying and saying, God, I want revival in Wales. God would wake him up many times at 1 o'clock in the morning. He would spend about 3, 4 hours just seeking God. There were days, history records, that for 7 hours he'd just be seeking God and crying out to God saying, God, I want revival. In September of 1904, Evan Roberts stood up and in one of his sermons as he was preaching, something happened. There was a mighty visitation of God released in that mess, in that sermon, in that that particular day in September, I think it was September 23rd, 1904, he was preaching to coal miners. These were tough people in the southern part of Wales. They were rough and tough and every sentence had a curse word in it. They were not like soft, nice, gentle, church-going people. They were rough and tough coal miners. But even Robert stood and as he was preaching, all of them went down on the floor crying out in repentance to God. A wave of conviction just flooded the place. And everyone on the knees crying out to God. And from that one moment, the entire region began to experience a move of God. 
bars were shut down. These rough and tough coal miners would come in the evening right after their work, hard day's work. They would spend time till 3 o'clock in the morning worshiping God, seeking God. And then they would go get some rest and then go back to work. And the history records that the revival in Wales was so strong, so significant, that even the animals were surprised that they were not hearing curse words. It was such a drastic change. And those fires of revival sparked by this one young man, even Roberts, began to spread to other parts of England and Ireland. And those revival fires were brought all the way to India in Shalom. But it was sparked by one man who said, God, I need a visitation. It only takes one person, and that could be you. Amen. And that's what Hezekiah did. He said the first thing he did was, let's open up the house of the Lord. He made it a priority. Everybody say priority. He made it a priority to say, I'm going to seek God. You know, becoming king is not not a small thing. He could have said, you know, uh, let me, the first thing I need to do is make sure my army is strong because there's the Assyrian king who might attack me. He attacked my father. He might attack me as well. So he could have gone after strengthening his army. Or he could have, you know, focused on building a strong cabinet of ministers. Or he could have focused on doing something else. But the first thing, everybody say first thing. He said was, I'm going to open up the house of the Lord. You know, you and I have lived such busy lives. We can do many, 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 many things. But I want to call us today and say, first thing, first thing, first thing, let's seek the Lord. Amen. I mean, I know we all live busy lives. We can be taking care of a thousand other things. But if he can do what Hezekiah did the first thing in the first month of his first year of his rule, he said, let me go open up the house of the Lord. Verse 4, he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square. And he said, hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves. Sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. Verse 10. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, that you should minister to him and burn incense. Verse 15, and they, the priests and the Levites, gathered their brethren. They sanctified themselves and went according to the commandment of the king at the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. Verse 17 says they began to sanctify it and they finished it after 16 days. Verse 18, then they went into King Hezekiah and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar of burnt offerings with all its articles and the table of the showbread with all its articles. Moreover, all the articles with King Ahaz in his reign has cast aside in his transgression. We have prepared and sanctified and they are there before the altar of the Lord. What was the next thing he did? He got the Levites and the priests. And he said, you guys, God has called you to be here in the house of God worshiping him. I want you to go and sanctify yourself. Meaning, consecrate yourself back unto God. And clean up the temple. Cleanse it. Get all the rubbish out. Amen. Priority. Putting God, seeking God number one. Second, there is consecration and cleansing. Amen. All of us can do that. 
All of us can come to that place of consecration, say cleansing, saying, God, we desperately need you, and we are willing to do what it takes to get more of you. Amen. It comes at a price. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven uh, endures violence, and the violent take it by force. For some things you've got to be violent in the spirit. I mean, for other, you know, you, we can be nice and polite in the way we relate to each other. Please, we need to do that. But when it comes to the things of the Spirit, we've got to be a little aggressive. And say, God, I'm willing to press on to a new level of consecration. I am willing to press on to a new level of cleansing, God, because I am desperate for you, and I want more of you, God. Amen. I want to invite all of us to do that this week, that we say, you know, God's called me to be a priest unto Him. He's called me to be a priest unto Him, and I must take the calling seriously. I'm going to cleanse myself. I'm going to consecrate myself I'm, because I'm desperate for more of God. And the next thing we see Hezekiah doing, you know, he, gets the, he does all the sin offerings. He gets the people to make the sin offerings. Or in verse 24, uh, they burn uh, the sin offerings to make atonement for the sins. Verse 25, he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with string instruments, and with harps, according to the commandment of David. Of God the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet, for thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. The Levites, verse 26, the Levites stood with the instruments of David and, with the, and the priests with the trumpets. Then Hezekiah commanded them to burn, to offer the burnt offering on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began with the trumpets and with the instruments of David, of David, king of Israel. So all the assembly worshipped. Everybody say worship. It says all the assembly worshipped. The singers sang and the trumpets sounded. And all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had finished offering, the king and all who were present bowed and worshipped. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord with the words of David and Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with gladness and they bowed their heads and worshiped God. The next thing after cleansing, consecration, they come into a place where they begin to offer up praises and worship to God. Amen. That's what we're going to do all of next week. The most of our time is just going to be spent those seven days just coming and singing praises, just worshiping God. Amen. The Bible tells us to enter his gates with thanksgiving in, in our hearts, to come into his courts with praise. And as you come in with praise, you come right into the very presence of God. It says, come, come before his throne with worship. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. That's what he did. He reinstituted worship and praise in the house of God. So we're going to spend time next week just worshiping and praising God and just doing what these people did. Towards the end of that same chapter, chapter 29, verses 35 and 36, it says, Also the burnt offerings were in abundance, with the fat of the peace offerings, with the drink offerings, for every burnt offering. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. They got things back in order. Then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the events took place 
so suddenly. Everybody say suddenly. You know, God doesn't ask you permission on when he wants to visit us. He doesn't say, you know, all people said, can you please schedule me in 2009? I want to come and visit you guys. Can you please schedule me in? No, he doesn't do that. It says it happened so suddenly. They weren't expecting this. They weren't expecting the house of the Lord to be opened up. They weren't expecting a call for consecration and cleansing. They weren't expecting them to be brought in to say, restore praise and worship to God. They weren't expecting it. It all happened so suddenly. Amen. The question is, will you and I respond if God did something suddenly in our midst? Say, God, you didn't tell me. God, you didn't book an appointment with me. Saints, when we want a visitation of God, when we want a revival, when we want an outpouring, we must be open for the suddenlies of God. Amen? God is God and He doesn't need an appointment. He can step in when He wants to. But the good news is this. It says, God had prepared the people. That's in verse 36. God had prepared the people. Something inside them said, yes, let's go with it. Even though it happened suddenly. Amen? All those are awake, say amen. Even though it happened suddenly, something inside them said, let's go with it. God had prepared the hearts. Something inside them was saying, yes, I got to connect. I got to go. Amen. I believe God's prepared our hearts. He's preparing our hearts. Even if it's visitation, even if it's, if it's outpouring, it's going to take place suddenly. Now what happens? Hezekiah is not happy. He's not satisfied in just having the temple opened and having these uh, Levites and priests and some of the people come together, he says, you know, I've got to call all of Israel to come together. I want to send out a call to the entire land saying, let's all come together to seek God. So that was, that's what we see happening in chapter 30. It says, Hezekiah sent, to, verse 1, Hezekiah sent all Israel and Judah. And he wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. He says, let's all come together. Let it not just be for a small group of people. Let's all come. Let's all come. Let's all come. He sent messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel. He said, go and call them. Tell them all to come. Verse 5, it says, so they resolved to make a proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba to Dan. And verse 6, the runners went through all Israel and Judah. And here's what he told in the middle of verse 6. He says, return to the Lord and he will return to you. You come back to the Lord, he will return to you. Of verse 8, he says, yield yourselves to the Lord and enter his sanctuary. Yield yourselves to God and come into his house. Verse 9, the latter part of verse 9. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn his face from you if you return to him. He's saying, listen, if you come back to God, God is gracious, God is merciful, he will come to you. Amen. In other words, he was expecting something to take place if the whole land came seeking him. Amen. He was just doing revival meetings for the sake of revival meetings. He wasn't doing, he was issuing a call just to have something happen, uh, just to do a routine thing. He said, look, if we all come together, God will come to us. There was an expectation. He was expecting God to visit them. Verse 10, 
something strange happens. So the runners passed from city to city throughout the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, as far as Zebulun, but they laughed at them and mocked them. It says they laughed at them and mocked them. What does this teach us? Sometimes when God is doing something, when God is releasing a visitation, when God is calling back his people to himself, some may laugh and some may mock. Not everybody's going to understand. Not everybody's going to connect. You know, we have the presupposition that if this is of God, everybody will say yes. Not necessarily. Some people can't connect with it. So it says that some laughed and some mocked, but that didn't stop Hezekiah. Verse 11, it says, Nevertheless, some from Asher, Manasseh, Zebulun, humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. That's very important. It says they humbled themselves and came. You know, sometimes we need to humble ourselves and come. Because our life could be sometimes more important than a call to worship and seek God. Now we've got things going on in our lives. And that could be more important. But it takes a little bit of humility saying, God, as busy as my world is, as important as my assignments are, I'm going to let that go. I'm going to humble myself and respond to this call and come to worship you. Amen. They humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Verse 12, and the hand of God was on Judah to give them singleness of heart, to obey the command of the king and the leaders at the word of the Lord. Now many people, a very great assembly gathered at Jerusalem to keep the feast. So what was it? What's it saying? It also saying that God was moving upon people's hearts. The hand of the Lord was on people and he was stirring up their hearts and they came. And many were gathered together in Jerusalem to seek God. Verse 18 is interesting. It says that many of the people, not everyone, end of verse 17, sorry. End of verse 17, it says, not everyone was clean and was sanctified. For a multitude, verse 18, for a multitude of the people, many from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves. Yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord provide atonement for everyone who prepares his heart to seek God. The Lord God of his fathers, though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And the Lord listened to Hezekiah and healed the people. So what happened? You know, when, when there was this call was given, not everybody could get ready. There were many who couldn't consecrate themselves, who couldn't cleanse themselves. But yet they came because inside them they wanted to seek God. And Hezekiah said, God, just forgive them. Overlook the fact that they couldn't cleanse themselves and consecrate themselves. God, just overlook it. And the Bible says God did. He just overlooked. He just forgave. This brings encouragement to us. Because some of us might be thinking, you know, I don't think I'm really consecrated enough. I don't think I'm really ready enough. I've got issues. I've got problems. I've got struggles. I've got challenges. Listen, that's okay. As long as in your heart you've got a desire to seek the, God, the Lord God, then just come in. Just come in. Amen. Those of us who can, we'll do our part to consecrate ourselves. We'll do our part to cleanse ourselves. But if there are some among us, for whatever reason, you say, you know, I'm struggling with all kinds of stuff. I've got issues. I've got problems. I don't think I can be ready by next week. I need a year to sort my things out. Listen, forget about the year. Just come in next week as we gather together to seek God. 
If all you need is a heart that says, I want more of God. That's it. Just come on in. And so here he had this great crowd of people. What did they do? Verse 21. So the children of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the feast of unleavened bread. Seven days. Everybody say seven days. So for seven days, with great gladness, and the Levites and the priests, they praised the Lord God day by day, singing to the Lord, accompanied by loud instruments. And Hezekiah gave encouragement to all the Levites who taught the good knowledge of the Lord. So they had some teaching going on. And they ate throughout the feast seven days, offering peace offerings and making confession to the Lord God of their fathers. Then the whole assembly agreed to keep the feast another seven days. And they kept it another seven days with gladness. Everybody say, with gladness. So here's what happened. You know, they came together for seven days. And for seven days, they were seeking God. For seven days, they heard the word of God. For seven days, they made confession towards the Lord. For seven days, they were singing praise. They were worshiping God. They were in the house of God. And something happens. Because they said, we want to stay for another seven days. When was the last time you said, man, I wish service would go on for another two hours. You know, we're waiting for 12.30, man, pastor, get over and I can go home. Not so in this place. There was something happening. A tangible presence of God came in. The hearts were filled with gladness and they said, you know, let's go on for another seven days. It says the assembly, the people says, we want to go on for another seven days. We want this to continue. We are hungry for God. Can you imagine? These were the same people who probably a month ago were sacrificing on to all the false gods and never had never been to the house of the Lord. And now they're saying, we want to be in the house of God. We want to spend another seven days in the house of God. Amen. Something was coming back to life. There was a hunger for God. There was a visitation of God. There was a presence of God released that caused these people to say, we want to stay here. We don't want to leave this. This is too good. Amen. And what happened? Verse 25. First part of verse 25. The whole assembly of Judah rejoiced. Verse 26. There was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the time of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Then the priests, the Levites arose and blessed the people and their voice was heard and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place to heaven. So what happened? There was great joy among the people. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Something happened. The atmosphere changed. There was joy. There was a sense of excitement. There was a sense of gladness all over Jerusalem. There was a tangible presence of God released upon them. They could feel it. Amen. So much so it touched their emotions. They were happy. There was joy. There was gladness. And the second consequence was this. There was an open heaven. It says their prayer went up to heaven. Heaven was open for them. Prayer was heard in heaven. God was answering prayer. Amen. Now with every genuine revival, 
But every genuine move of God never stays within the church. Never. Every genuine move of God spills over into the streets of the city. That's it. It begins with the people of God. It begins in the house of God. It begins with people consecrating themselves, cleansing themselves, coming and seeking God. God begins to release His presence on them. There is joy and gladness in the house of God. People are hungry after God. They want more of God. They can't get enough of Him. But you know what? It doesn't stay there. It just gets out into the streets. And that's exactly what happened. In chapter 31, verse 1, it says... Now when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke the sacred pillars in pieces. They cut down the wooden images. They threw down the high places and the altars from all Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, Manasseh, until they utterly destroyed them all. They all then all the children of Israel returned to their own cities, every man to his possession. That was what happened inside the temple. They took it out to the streets. They went out into the streets and wherever they found these altars that were uh, where they used to worship God, they tore it down. There was a reformation. Things changed outside the church. Amen. So when there's a revival and God breaks out on us and we are seeking God in praise and worship and God's holy presence is released among us, it cannot stay here. It's going to go with you into your schools, into your colleges, out on the streets, into your offices, wherever you go, the presence of God will go and it will cause a change to take place and will cause the sinners of the unsaved to come in and turn to the living God. That's a genuine revival. Amen. And that's what's going to happen when we begin to worship God and seek God. What happens to us inside? We'll be able to take it out into the world and bring about a change, bring about a reformation, bring about a turning of hearts towards the living God. The next thing we see happening here in chapter 31, I'm just going to summarize it, not read the whole chapter. In 2 Chronicles chapter 31 is this, that Hezekiah tells the people, you know, We've got all the Levites, all the priests in the temple, but they need to be taken care of. And the God-ordained way to take care of people who serve in the house of God is by tithes and offerings. So he tells the people, you know, bring tithes and offerings into the temple. So verse 5 says, as soon as the commandment was circulated, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of grain and wine, oil and honey, and of all the produce of the field. They brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. Verse 10. And Azariah the chief priest from the house of Zadok answered him and said, Since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, we have had plenty, we had enough to eat and have plenty left. For the Lord has blessed his people. And what is left is this great abundance. The Lord has blessed his people. There was a material blessing. There was an outpouring of material prosperity upon his people. And they could now bring in abundance in the house of God. The Lord has blessed his people. Here's the other outcome of a revival. God will begin to pour out material blessings, material prosperity upon his people. He will bless his people so much that they will be able to bring in their tithes. They'll be able to bring in their offerings in the house of God till they say, you know, we've got more than what we need. Amen. 
the result of seeking God. The Lord has blessed his people. And then in chapter 32, here's what we see. And I'll just summarize. The king of Assyria, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, comes against Judah. He comes against Jerusalem. And he makes all these big threats. He says, you know, I defeated your king, your father, King Haas. And your king, Hezekiah, is telling you to worship God. He's telling you to seek God. My God is stronger than your God. You better surrender. And he makes all these threats against Jerusalem. But here's what happens in 2 Chronicles 32, verse 20 and 21. Now because of this, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, prayed and cried out to heaven. Then the Lord sent an angel who cut down every mighty man of valor, leader and captain in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned shamefaced to his own land. And when he had gone into the temple of his God, some of his own offspring struck him down with a sword there. Thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others, and guided them on every side. See, there was an open heaven. Hezekiah and Isaiah, the prophet, they just prayed. They made one phone call to heaven. They said, Lord, the Assyrian kings come against us. Help. And the Bible says God sent an angel who took care of the problem. Amen. That's the result of seeking God. When you and I are seeking God, pressing in, there's an open heaven. One phone call is enough. Amen. Tell the neighbor, one call will do. Just one call to heaven. And God will take care of the situation. Another blessing of just seeking God, of pressing in the presence of God, of, of, of experiencing God, of a revival breaking out, of people turning to God. There's supernatural intervention. There's supernatural deliverance, divine deliverance from situations. Church, this week, you and I are going to, this coming week, that's next week, from the 25th to the 31st, we're going to seek the Lord. Amen. We're going to open up the house of God. We're calling us to consecrate ourselves, to cleanse us, get the rubbish out. Now, if for some reason you can't do it, hey, you're still welcome. All you need is a, is a simple desire to say, I want more of God in my life. Amen. Just that desire. Are we going to seek God? I can tell you, God's not going to disappoint us. Something's going to happen. God will release His presence amongst us. There will be joy. There will be gladness. There will be an open heaven. God will release material prosperity on our lives. The problems that, that are confronting us, God will take care of it. Amen. But what we have to do is set our hearts on seeking God. Don't let the problem become a distraction. Don't let your present situation cause you to be distracted and preoccupied with it. Say, God, I know all these things are there, but I'm just seeking you, God, and I know you will take care of those things in my life. Amen. So let's prepare ourselves this week to seek God. Heidi Baker was, uh, was a young lady. She came to the Lord at the age of 16. She was raised up in a Pentecostal environment. At the age of 16, she gave herself to the Lord, totally sold out, wanted to serve God. She and her husband became missionaries. Uh, they, they were raised up in... Uh, in uh, Western, Western United States, they became missionaries, spent 17 years in Mozambique, 
17 years of hard work, intense labor. They were totally sold out missionaries, did everything right, loved, the, they had orphanages of taking in the kids and taking care of them. They did everything right for 17 years, but didn't see much fruit. They had three churches. One was really not a church because it was all the orphanage, uh, the kids in the home. They had two other churches that were just barely surviving. But after 17 years of hard labor and work and just, just giving their lives out as missionaries in Mozambique, she had an encounter with God. She went to a place, Toronto. Some of you like it, some of you don't like it, that's okay. God let God judge. But she went to Toronto. And there in the meeting, there was a man named Randy Clark who was just preaching. And Heidi was so desperate for God, in the middle of the sermon, she ran down in front of the altar. And she cried out to God in the middle of his sermon, of, of Randy Clark's sermon. She cried out to God. And the Spirit of God came upon this man, Randy Clark, as he was preaching. And he said, Heidi, do you want God to give you the nation of Mozambique? And she said, yes. And by the word of the Lord, he spoke to her. He said, Heidi, the Lord is saying that he is going to give you the nation of Mozambique. You're going to see, you're going to see blind eyes open and deaf ears hear and dumb mouth speak and a lame walk. And you're going to cast out devils. Heidi, God is saying he's going to give you the nation of Mozambique. That's all. For seven days, she couldn't get up. She laid there on the, on the altar for seven days and seven nights. She was out. She was carried out from there to go to the restroom and back. And people thought she had lost her mind. People thought... Being a missionary for 17 years in Mozambique affected her. Something, something must have gone wrong. She's off her rock or whatever. They called her crazy, called everything. But she was out for seven days, seven nights. But the real fruit of a visitation, the real test of a visitation of God is in the fruit. The next six months were horrible. She was struck with multiple sclerosis. Doctors said, you cannot go back to Mozambique. She was locked to a wheelchair. But she said, God spoke and said, He's giving me the nation of Mozambique. If I have to go back on a wheelchair, I'm going because I believe what God said. That nation is for me. Her husband was in intensive care, struck down with malaria. Her daughter was struck down with malaria the next six months. It seemed impossible that she, that what God had spoken to her in this time of seeking would ever be fulfilled. But she went back in a wheelchair to Mozambique. And the little orphan children got around her and prayed for her. And God healed her and raised her out of that wheelchair. Those little kids that she was taking care of, they prayed for her. And she was completely healed. And in seven years' time, seven years' time, she and her husband raised up with 12 people. More than 7,000 churches all over Mozambique. 7,000 churches. Every five kilometers, there was a church raised up. With 12 people working with them. The pastors of these churches, many of them, 20% of them, less than 20% of them have a Bible. Many of them have not finished sixth grade education. But they are raising the dead. They are causing blind eyes to see, deaf ears to hear. They go into a village, raise the dead. The whole village comes to Christ. A church is planted. In seven years, thousands of orphans taken care of. In seven years, 7,000 churches and more now. 
because God visited her. Amen. Now all the church growth organizations want to come. Now Heidi is a very crude lady. She's not very polished. They come with the video cameras and they say, you know, tell us the secret of your church growth principle. And she says, I have no strategy. I have no strategy. I just love God, love the people. God's at work. We go with it. That's it. I'm not saying it's, we don't need strategies. We don't need organization. What I'm saying is we need God more than them. And when God shows up, forget about everything else. He'll take care of it. Amen. If God could use Heidi Baker, he can use you. Amen. We just have to be desperate enough for God. And so, Lord, if you're doing it in other parts of the world, you're no respecter of persons. If you're doing it for him, you're doing it for her, God, you can do it in my life. I just want to get desperate for you. I want to get rid of my sophistication. I want to get rid of all my programs, all my agendas, all my strategies. Forget it, God. If I don't have you, none of these will work. I need you. I need more of you. I need your presence. I need your anointing. And I'm coming after you, God. And God can do a quick work. A quick work. When he shows up. Amen. Let's just take a few moments right now to express our hunger for God. Let's get up on our feet. And I want to say, God... I'm willing to seek you. I'm willing to come after you, God. God is doing something on the earth. It's high time we got up out of our chairs and said, God, count me in. God, count me in. I don't want to be a spectator. I don't want to be somebody just, you know, trying to do my little church thing, doing my own programs and trying to figure it out by myself. God, if there's one thing I need, I need you. I need your presence. 